0: Well, it's always a great start uh to the beginning of your sermon when you look at your introduction and you decide you're going to change that. <laughs> yeah. It was a long week in Tampa. I was there as well, and right now my mind is in parliamentary procedures, wear asses, and orders of the day, and point of order, which is all my favorite stuff. I actually loved it. But, I know. Uh Pastor David Lafour. I worked at Lutherwood uh, beginning in 2010, actually when our current executive director uh, started up there again. And the way that I got started working at Lutherwood will tell you enough that you need to know about me. Um, <laughs> she's already laughing. <laughs> I grew up in Washington, St. Luke's uh, Lutheran Church was my home church, just in Federal Way, south of Seattle. And my senior year of high school, we went to uh, a tribe area to do a mission trip up north of Bellingham. And we stayed at a camp called Lutherwood, Lutherwood, Bellingham. When I applied for Camp Lutherwood, I thought I was applying for Camp Lutherwood, Bellingham. (laughs) (laughs) And when, (laughs) when Andrea interviewed me and I asked her how long the drive was, she said it's about two hours south and I'm somewhat good at geography. So I said, well, that can't be right. It can't be two hours south. It's about three hours north. Well, she had already hired me at that point, and my willingness to fill out more paperwork to go to the camp I actually wanted to work at uh, was very low. (laughs) (laughs) So last week, I was at convention. I was at a place that is about as different from camp as you could possibly imagine. Uh, I was hurried very busy schedule i mean our morning meetings were 6:30 a.m. and i did make one on time <laughs> let it be known 6:30 a.m. with the 3 hour time difference it was it was a spiritual challenge for me um we are inside. There's no windows. It's completely temperature-controlled room. You really have no idea what time it is because there's nothing to tell you other than your phone, which you're kind of supposed to not have out because they'll come and find you. <laughs> uh, fluorescent lighting, and we're constantly engaged with a screen. You talk about too much screen time. We think our kids have too much screen time. Well, I want to talk about all the boomers who were at this convention. We had way too much screen time. It was literally always something there. And to be fair, it was our job to go there, to vote on things, to read about resolutions, to debate, to point of order, to sometimes annoy each other. That was our job. And weirdly enough, like I said, um, I kind of loved it, which I think I might need to get therapy. because no one else did, especially no one else in my section. Um, (laughs) But who here feels that your life can kind of take on that sort of grind, right? This, This grind of busyness, of there's always something I have to get to that I am responsible for, whether or not I'm engaged with it, whether or not I care, There's something that I need to get to, a task that has to be done. A little bit hurried. Who here has felt hurried, even just this week? Yes. This is a mark of our lives, this hurriedness, this getting on to the next task. I really think this is a mark of our lives. And I would say, surprisingly enough, it's a mark of our children's lives as well. Uh, Bill Watterson, he's the uh, author and the artist of a great comic, Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic comic. And one comic strip that he has uh, shows Calvin being woken up early in the morning, rushed out of his bed, through breakfast, into clothes, forgot his books, needs to grab his books, forgot his lunch, needs to grab his lunch on the bus, through school, class, comes home, has to get his homework done, has to eat dinner, has to take a shower, goes to bed, and at the very end, his mother tells him, get some rest because tomorrow's another big day. (laughs) And Calvin just has this exasperated look on his face. And on that comic, Bill Watterson includes a little quote. He says, I don't understand those who think that childhood is idyllic because it's not really anymore. Maybe it was at one point, but it's not anymore. And I really doubt it even was at one point all the older members of my congregation love to tell me how they spent their summers uh picking berries out of the farm fields. Uh, <laughs> there's something to do, even when you're a child. There's something to do. And so when I got home from convention, I was still in a hurry. I didn't have much time to rest myself because I needed to get down to Oregon so I could get ready, so I could write a sermon, so I could be here this morning. And as I was driving, I had my phone on uh, randomized music, and a song that I haven't heard in a long time came up. It was a Jack Johnson song. Um, One of my favorite songs ever since I first heard it in ninth grade, and it's called Breakdown. Anyone know that? It's this great song talking and kind of diagnosing this exact sense of hurry that I talked about. And it's written from his point of view as he's riding in a train from one event to the next, to the next, to the next. And he's looking out the window and he begins to wish the train would just break down. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone ever felt that way? And I love this. This is from the second verse in the chorus. He says this as he's looking out the window and all the people in the street that I'll never get to meet if these tracks don't bend somehow and I got no time that I got to get to where I don't need to be. So I need this old train to just break down. Oh, please just let me please break down. He's making a point that sometimes we might need a breakdown moment. A moment where we are pulled from our pre-scheduled, pre-ding, pre-designed schedule And made to just be, even for just a second. Where you can't get from one to the next. And in that moment, as I come back from a convention, as I'm in my car, as I'm frustrated with Seattle to Portland traffic, which is only beginning worse every day, I connected deeply with that song. Though I'm not sure if I want my Subaru to break down like maybe a short breakdown like a 1 hour timeout yeah and now this is going to be uh this is going to sound a little bad um and maybe Andrea will regret that I'm uh, up here speaking cuz I I I like to get away with things um <laughs> Lutherwood is a place that supports breakdowns it's not the nicest thing to say <laughs> because sometimes they're not great breakdowns, but usually they are. And I want to get more into what I mean by that. Lutherwood is a place where the tracks of that train that we are on that carries us ever towards the next planned set out thing finally have to bend and let us off for just a day, a week, maybe even an hour. One of the most wonderful things about Lutherwood, and maybe it will change, and again, I don't know if Andrew thinks this is too wonderful just from a business perspective, but it is out of cell phone range. It's great. Oh, kids love to bring their cell phones into camp. It's like, feel free. <laughs> it ain't going to do you with nothing. <laughs> I'm not sure if they've ever been out of a place out of cell phone range. It's really a place that is different than the rest of, of our scheduled world and life. And here's a typical day at Lutherwood. And when I say that it's different, it doesn't mean it's not busy. Sometimes it's very busy, especially from the staff perspective. But how many places can you start the day with prayer by the creek, eat cinnamon rolls for breakfast, rub wet clay on your face, sing about hippos in worship, have an underwater watermelon relay race, which those are great fun. Avoid the local hillbillies who are trying to bop you with foam noodles. Uh, Hillbillies and varmints is the name of that game. And the campers get to be the varmints. And the staff love being the hillbillies. Roast marshmallows at a fire. Try to sneak Cheerios through the camp under the guise of darkness. And then finally sleep out under the stars at Mountain Village. That's a good day at camp. I tried to put together the day at camp I would like to have. (laughs) And I had some of those days at camp, these exact ones. It's no coincidence that when Jesus tells us to stop focusing on this track that we are on day to day, that he tells us to look at the creation surrounding us. From Luke 6, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. And yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass to the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Jesus points us to the creation. It's like when Jack Johnson is looking out the window of this train. He points us to the creation, to the flowers into the birds. Because honestly, where does a flower need to be? Yeah. What's it late for? It's just being a flower. <laughs> and birds. How many birds do you think have to fill out all that paperwork and get themselves to the DMV during their lunch break? They don't seem too anxious about that sort of thing. And what I don't want to do here is try to be, you know, ignorant. We do have things that we have to get done in our lives, right? We, we aren't birds, but we can learn a little bit from the birds. From looking at them, from that connection with our creation. And one of the things that makes camp ministry so unique in the plethora of ministries that we work in, that we can support in, that we saw at convention, there's so many different types of ministries out there. One of the unique things about camp ministries is the focus and the being in the creation that God has made. It's a place where we can learn more about our God, our creator, by pausing and looking at his world. Sometimes inch by inch. Uh, one of the activities that they have in creation, and I'm sure that they still do this, it's been a little while since I've been employed there, it's called the, uh, I think it's called the inch hike. And it's something that you do when you tell the kids, and it's, you know when it's happening at creation time, because they'll have a bunch of kids like right down face in the grass, in the rocks, and we tell them, we want you to just take an inch at a time, pause and look at it, and then move on to the next inch. Because we're moving around so much, we're playing so many games, we've got so many things to do, it's good to just get down and see God's creation, be forced to notice it, even inch by inch. It's a place that we pause in our worship and we look up into the trees. And so I want to give a second for us to do that here just like we would at a camp worship. You know, sometimes we look at creation inch by inch but sometimes we give ourselves a chance to just look up and listen. I'm not sure what that is. A squirrel or something back there. (laughs) So why are breakdowns so important? Is it just a glorified vacation, and I'm saying that we need here, we all just need to get away for a week? Well, that's not true, because honestly, vacations aren't always like that. I just had a family vacation. (laughs) I got some of my lovely family right here. And let me tell you, vacations aren't always the most relaxing things. Often we keep ourselves busier on a vacation than we do throughout our work week. Which is fair enough. We're in a new place. We want to go see the things. We want to do the things. There is this comedian. um, He was talking about this. He was talking about that we just don't give ourselves a moment to rest and to think. To have some introspection. And he talks about when you have that moment in your car, you actually are alone. And it's quiet. And suddenly all your thoughts start pouring in and you got to find a way to warn them off, turn on the radio or roll down the window or something because sometimes it's just hard to let that breakdown moment happen. Uh, he said that we often do it by texting and driving. He says that's why texting and driving is such an epidemic because, oh no, I'm having a thought. I, 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 uh, I text someone, say hello to anyone. Hopefully someone responds to me. Camp is like that because camp has those pauses. It has often that lack of noise, not sound. We have sound all around us, but the lack of just noise going on. It has a lack of hurry often about it, unless you're engaged in the game of gaga ball. There's a lot of hurry in a game of gaga ball. You got no time to rest and to listen there. It allows you, young or old, to take a second and think. Being out in creation with God's fellow creatures, it strengthens this. It supports this. I've had a couple breakdown moments at camp, and again, this is another thing where maybe we will regret having me up here talking about it, but I'm going to tell you about my worst afternoon at Camp Lutherwood. <laughs> it has to do with canoes. <laughs> and all the campers made it back at the end of the story. So don't stress about that. But <laughs> we all have these. Um, I was trying to be so good and be prepared ahead of time. And we had this huge Uh, I'd say about 30 campers going out and canoeing. We only have six canoes. It was going to require a lot of planning, a lot of getting there right on time. We were going to have to leave right as soon as dinner was done, if not earlier. You know, get that last bite of food in. And I know I said that we don't hurry, but sometimes there is hurry at camp. I have the canoe trailer ready. I have everything ready. And I'm waiting up on the other side of the bridge. And it's 15 minutes past when the campers are supposed to be up there. And I decide I need to find them and retrieve them. I walk down into the lodge. And I open up the doors. And this terrible din, shaking, was just erupting throughout the lodge. I was like, what is going on here? Well, they had decided for dessert that night that they would make homemade ice cream. And that the kids would all shake their bags. And half the kids that were supposed to go canoeing hadn't even gotten a bag to shake yet. And this process takes a little while if you don't want to just have a really wet milkshake. And I'm like, okay, get these kids with their... I, I don't care. Take ice cream from other children. We got to go. <laughs> we have to get out of here. We finally... We get him in the bus. Uh, and we start going... And I'm driving behind the canoe trailer, and I am really good at tying canoe trailers, but I am better now than I used to be because of the lesson that I learned. (laughs) There's two canoes that don't match exactly size-wise. We put them on next to each other using straps, pulling them. If you know enough about straps, you'll know that the smaller the two canoes started wiggling its way out along the highway. I'm driving behind it, I'm honking my horn, trying to warn this person that this canoe is falling out and I pull out my cell phone, now, I don't call and drive, but I had to call and drive, I had to let someone know and so I call the person driving this car, except I called the wrong person, I called a person I know from college, and I'm yelling at them about a canoe falling off their truck <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about David? He's like, the, the canoe! Stop the car! They're like, I don't... I didn't have that person's phone number, by the way, um, driving the canoe car. Uh, we finally get there, and the plan was is that the kids who had to wait for the canoes would swim in a swim area, and the other canoes would start, and it would come around the bend, of that swim area, they would swim, and then go back. It was brilliant, except it was a reservoir. Except the reservoir was really low. Except the swim area was just mud. <laughs> except the swim area was just mud and hornets, <laughs> which the kids found with their feet. <laughs> oh, and the wind was going really well, too. So the kids that were trying to canoe got all of 20 yards before I say, bring it in, boys. We're done. <laughs> you just sometimes nature has to be like that. We take longer to get the canoes back on the trailer because I like to learn from my lessons. Um, The canoe did not ultimately fall off till we got in the parking lot, by the way. So it was fine. We were good. And I'm supposed to be in charge of campfire. I look at my phone. It started 15 minutes ago. (laughs) What did I learn by that breakdown? Well, one, I learned that I'm just a man. (laughs) And God's creation is bigger than me. But two everything at camp, which was also having a rough night, it still went off. I was part of the body of Christ. And even though I wasn't there to get my job done, other people were, and they picked up on it without a second of hesitation. Sometimes it's nice to be humbled and to be reminded that you are not your own. And sometimes it requires a breakdown to get to that point. The other one is much nicer, which is why I'm ending with it. Uh, well, not ending the whole sermon. You got get comfy. Uh, <laughs> we went on a night hike with a cabin, cabin of older boys. or middle schoolers. Um, and we were off schedule. Surprisingly enough, I kept them up a little bit after I was supposed to put them in bed. But we were having a good night. And at the end of this night hike, the stars were out and they were beautiful. And I decided that we needed a breakdown moment from our schedule. And so we went out and laid it in the horse corral, which was our version of the stargazing platform back then. We have a much nicer one now. And we just looked up at the stars. And I read this to my camper, Psalm 8, Lord, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you have cared for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and you have crowned them with glory and honor. And it was in that outside of schedule breakdown moment that my campers and I were able to have a discussion about God, about how does this God makes these trees, makes this grass, makes these stars, makes our heavens consider us so important to him. That's a sort of good breakdown moment that we'll have at camp. And to be honest, we have breakdown moments all the time. Sometimes we have them in our car, like I said, when the thoughts just start coming in and pouring in. Sometimes we have them on a walk or a time of quiet in the kitchen before the kids get up. It could be times of strife and conflict, family conflict. It could be over a period of time. It could be something like a separation, a divorce, lawsuits, courts. In some of these moments especially in some of the harder breakdowns, the ones that are trying against us, we can relate to the words of the psalmist in another psalm, Psalm 130, when he says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you, I wait for the Lord with my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. And he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. It's in these really, what I would call, important breakdown moments the happy or sad ones, the frustrating or peaceful ones, that the Holy Spirit really seems to get in and grow those seeds of faith and the gospel in our hearts. The singular and most memorable and precious moment to me at camp was one of those harder breakdowns. It was my second year as a counselor, and I had a really rough camper in a really rough cabin after an already really rough week. And I felt that this camper was some sort of God's judgment on him because he did share my name. It was God's judgment on me (laughs) because I had sometimes been a harder camper to my counselors. But he was the type of camper who would look me directly in the eyes just to go against what I had just told him to do or not to do. Just frustrating. And he did it not just to me, but to other adults, other kids. And he was frustrating. He was frustrating to our cabin. And it was hard because, you know, we want to enjoy camp. We don't want to have these moments. And so it was during a camp-wide game that I noticed that uh, two of my campers were not participating in the game. And so I went immediately to the cabin and I found them in there. And I found our main culprit, the one who I was not surprised, was in some sort of trouble. And I found another camper crying in his bed, and I asked, what happened? To be honest, I don't remember what happened. And I'm not sure if they told me in a clear way. What 10-year-old kid sometimes communicates things at emotional moments correctly, right? So I don't know. And I'm not a detective. It's not my job to know exactly what happened. But it was clear that for the first time this week that the main culprit camper, David, was feeling guilt and oppression on his heart for whatever it is that he had done. And he felt genuinely bad for his actions against this other kid. He didn't enjoy being the rough camper. That's not who he wanted to be. And so I try to walk him through forgiveness. He asks the other camper to forgive him and the other camper says, no, I'm not going to forgive you. (laughs) I know. Great. (laughs) Wonderful moment. And I sit down and I say, well, let me tell you why Christians are called to forgive. And I start going through this gospel and I tell David is like, look, even if he doesn't forgive you, you know who still does forgive you? Jesus Christ still forgives you. And he says, well, that doesn't make any sense. Because I'm a bad kid. That hurts to hear from a camper. Why would Jesus forgive me? I'm a bad kid. And I said, well, good news is Jesus came to forgive bad kids. That's why he came. Bad kids like you and me. And I said, furthermore, through what Jesus Christ has done for you, and I didn't use the word furthermore, right? Because he's 10 years old. (laughs) But more than that, through what Jesus Christ has done for you, God does not see you as a bad kid. God, by the blood of Jesus, has made you a good kid, the perfect kid. I think that may have been the first time he had heard the gospel in his life, because this was mind-blowing to him. He said, you mean I could be a good kid? It was like, God's already made you that way. God's made you a good kid by his sacrifice, by his love. He's done that for you. Even that night in the cabin, he asked me for time in the cabin to tell the other kids that Jesus can make them good kids. That was awesome. It was much better preaching than I could have ever done in my life. Because he said, look, Jesus has made me a good kid and he can make you a good kid too. Ten-year-old sermon, out of the mouth of infants, right here in Psalm 8, you have established the glory in your kingdom. He does it. He does it out of that. But that required a breakdown moment. That required a moment when he was sitting on his bed and he was in tears because he can't deal with the fact that he can't make himself be who he wants to be. Have you ever had that sort of breakdown moment? I have. <laughs> when you've realized you can't make yourself who you want to be, that moment it forces you to look to Jesus. From Romans 8, Paul says this from our reading earlier today. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to the frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope, that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to the sonship, to the redemption of our bodies for it is in this hope that we are saved. Paul tells us that all creation is groaning along with us waiting for the restoration, waiting for the rescue of Jesus Christ. And it is in this hope for the gospel that I see proclaimed at camp. And the campers... We see this happening because at camp we live in a community, we live in life together. And that means sin because what sort of community doesn't have sin? But you know what else that means? You're in a community where the gospel is on people's lips to confront that sin. It's a chance where we get to live a week together, a week to really screw something up. And yet to hear from someone who knows Jesus, that Jesus loves you and forgives you of this sin. It's not just an hour, it's a week. It's time to really let that process work to have a breakdown happen. But we also see it in creation. If I can turn my page here. Martin Luther believed that people with hope in Christ could look at the world differently. That they would see exactly what Paul proclaims, that the whole creation proclaims the grace of Jesus Christ. He says this, Luther says this, beginning with the grace of God, and he means for a Christian with faith, we can know God's wonderful works and miracles even through the little flowers. When we consider the divine omnipotence and the divine goodness, we thus laud and praise and thank God for we see in his creatures the power of his word, how mighty it is. He spoke and this all came to be. Even a peach stone. For in its due time, the very hard shell will open up for the soft core that is within. This is what camp is about. It's about being in a place where your usual schedule is subverted and changed, in a place where people come around you and that they have the gospel on their lips and in their hearts. It's a place set apart, not because God is only there, because He's all over. But even or even more there than anywhere else, but because we see it being proclaimed in creation around us. One of my favorite examples of a breakdown is not in people, but in creation itself. Who here knows what a nurse log is? It's a tree that dies. It has its breakdown. <laughs> it falls over, it dies, and yet out of this tree grows new life. Because through the process of its decay, new trees that can't grow anywhere else can grow out of that. We have a lot of those at Lutherwood, And those, to me, proclaim the gospel so clearly. Because out of death, what does God bring? Life. Constantly. He does it over and over and over. He does it in each one of us in our baptism. He does it to each one of us when he will call us out of our graves and he does it in creation. He does it every winter into spring. We see this take place where the death around us comes back to roaring life. The gospel is being preached to us, not just in word at a place like Luther would, but it's being preached to us by the stumps. But to see something like that, to notice something like that, and to actually take it to heart, we need to have a bit of a breakdown, a bit of a moment that takes us from our normal routine and forces us to consider, consider the lilies, the birds, and the stumps. Now, I want to end this sermon the way that we would sometimes end the day at Lutherwood. Uh, there was this thing that we used to do, and it's something about campfires. Campfires make you pause and reflect. They force you to breathe and rest. You could be the most uh, non-introspective person in the world, but if you sit down in front of a campfire for more than 15 minutes, you're going to spend some time thinking. It's like God has hardwired this into our brains. But we would take our time around the campfire, and the kids would get pieces of scratch paper, and on that scratch paper, we would write the things that weigh down our heart. Sometimes our sins, the things that we have wronged others with, we would write them down, the things that hurt us, the conflict in our lives, and we would throw it into the fire. I talk about how God restores and renews and rebuilds. Now, we can't do that here today because I'm not going to be able to build a fire, though apparently there's something (laughs) on fire over there. But what I want you to do if you're willing to play along with me here, as I want you to close your eyes and I want you to pull out of your heart that thing that is weighing you down. That sin, that conflict, that error. What is it that's weighing you down? I'm going to give you about 10 seconds of relative silence here. Before you open your eyes, I want you to think when you open your eyes and you see this beautiful creation that God has put you in, remember how God has brought life out of this ground. And out of you, out of your heart, God will continue to bring life. Let's go ahead and open those eyes. Now, Jesus has promised to bring beauty out of you and your pains. And for those of you who know Jesus, this is a great promise. For those of you who don't know Jesus, I I urge you to get to know the man who could bring life out of death. And I also want to say, consider supporting a place that time and time again, through its programming, its people, its nature, that God continues to provide fresh ground for breakdowns so that we could have faith in life, grow up. A couple of things. Uh, of course, I more carefully read the letter that your pastor sent to me after I wrote the sermon, <laughs> 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 and he did mention to say a couple of ways. What are just some practical ways that you can help support this ministry? And I'm sure Andrew might get a chance to we'll talk about that later. But a couple of things I have to say is, a person who's been a staff person, you know, money is great, prayers are great, obviously those things go to support. Um, but really, it's bring the families. Bring the young adults who could be staffs, and bring yourself, because you you really have to experience what it is um, to get to get it. And we all have these moments; we all can draw from this in our own life. Uh, but Lutherwood is a special place. It's for all people, but it's especially for the Lutheran churches and the Lutheran people out here in Oregon and Washington. And so. That, I think, is the best way that you can truly support it, is by seeing it, setting foot on the ground, meeting the people, seeing what good ministry happens there. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this creation that you have brought us up in. We thank you that you have made us, along with all creatures, along with this world, we ask that you would draw our eyes away from our own itineraries and schedules and busyness and stress and that you would bring them to the life that you are creating out of our hearts. We pray that your spirit would fill us and guide us as we go about our day and our week and that you would bless us with the fellowship of this church community and with all the communities um, that have partaken in what the place Lutherwood is. Pray these things all in your Son's name. Amen. Amen.